1: Welcome to Multifamily Investing Made Simple, uh, the podcast that takes the complexity out of real estate investing so that you can get started today. I'm Dan Kruger, joined as always by Anthony Vecino. How are you doing today, Mr. Anthony?
0: I'm good. I'm just over here taking pictures of the screen as we are sitting down with a legend yes. this, after- this morning. I was going to say afternoon, but uh, I'm losing track of my time here. So I'm pretty excited about today's podcast.
1: And per usual, you're taking those screenshots when uh, Bill and I are looking at not our best, and you look fantastic. Right, that sounds, yeah, that was
0: smiling. You will notice that I told you after I took the picture that I was taking the picture. So, for you listeners at home to want to see this candid shot of Bill and Dan looking great and me totally not posing for the picture, go check it out on Instagram.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So if you guys didn't pick up on the clue there already, we've got somebody else on the show today. Uh, Mr. Bill Ham is joining us, and this guy has done it all in the industry. He's a wealth knowledge, so we're excited to dig in. Uh, to just kind of give you the bullet points of this guy's resume, uh, he's the author of the new book, Creative Cash, uh, which is a book that is focusing on the creative financing for real estate, uh, which is very valuable. There's not a ton of content out there on that, so excited to dig into that. Uh, he's the COO of Broadwell Property Group And he has built a large multifamily portfolio over the last 15 years. So you've seen multiple market cycles already. You're a pro. Thanks
0: for having me. Wait, wait. So that kind of implies you were in business during the financial crisis and you didn't get wiped out. I thought everybody got wiped out.
2: Correct. No, I just, I, I I just got
0: beat up really bad, but not wiped (laughs) out.
2: Yeah,
0: bloodied, but not. not I got the T-shirt and
2: stars to go with. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome, Bill. Thanks for coming on. We've known you them. for a while, but we're excited to kind of do a deep dive on, on uh, you know what's bumping around in your head, the state of the market now, yeah. and hear what what you've been up to lately.
2: Well, you know, uh, Anthony kind of hit right on it there. I, I have been in business a couple of, upwards, of almost sixteen years now, and I have seen all of the different market cycles—the up, down, left, the right—and not only have I experienced all of the market cycles, I've survived them. And information is only passed on by those who survive because you're right, Anthony, everybody else that had a way of doing it and it got wiped out. Yeah, we're not talking about them, are we? <laughs> They're not on your show, are they? Nope. So the only reason that I am here is because I survived it. And, and that speaks to the uh, the information and the things that I bring to students at the moment is not theory. It's not made up. It's not something I read in a book. It's something that I've practiced and put in place and have had success with personally in real life, in real life scenarios, um, because it's all tried and, and true and tested uh, information. Because I'm still here, and, and uh, mm-hmm. only only those who survive pass on their information. So, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I'm excited to dive into the market dynamics because this is something that we haven't talked a lot about on the show. um, But I think it's something for our audience, who's primarily passive investors, they need to be aware of as well. And so I'm I'm really uh, looking forward to diving into that. But before we get there, because you know a lot of people got wiped out in the financial crisis, and like we're not talking about those people who didn't make it through and you had the survivor bias here what is your bad investing advice what can you point to that oh. you know a lot of people they were they went wrong because they employed this investing advice you make money when you buy super simple
2: that's probably <laughs> the worst well, we hear that everywhere probably the the absolute worst piece of real estate advice or comment or concept that anyone can possibly have in real estate you make money when you buy no, the hell you do not. You create value when you buy. You make money when you exit profitably. And so, by saying I make money when I buy is completely mitigating the value and the importance of an exit strategy. Ask anybody that went into foreclosure if they made money when they bought. They did not. I it love is it. It's all about exit strategy.
1: Yeah. No, I think that implies uh, something that's, that's, uh, uh, something that I see with a lot of newer investors where they think that the, the work is finding the deal and getting to the closing table. When in reality, that's when the work starts, right? Exactly. So you present yourself or you, you might create an opportunity for yourself when you buy, but then you've actually got to do the work to capture right. that, that value.
2: That, that's like saying, well, look, all, all we have to do is close.
0: And you're
1: guaranteed
2: to make money. You just close. and, and then Well, for
1: some, to some to operators running bad. on fees,
0: that might be true. Well, for the moment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I let's can talk about those markets. Yeah. I see
2: how long that lasts. I remember <laughs> those guys the last time around. Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's just not how it works. It, it, it's BS advice. It's it's a soundbite taken out of thin air from someone who, who was probably selling something, probably trying to motivate people to run to the back of the room and, and get out their credit card and take action and all this kind of guru mm-hmm. nonsense. It's just not true. It's horrible business advice. It's mm-hmm. a great way to get yourself hurt running around saying I make money when I buy that that's a ludicrous comment if you actually stop and think about it. It's like saying, well all I gotta do is buy a stock and and I'll make money because I bought (laughs) what? (laughs) That's so stupid, you know. Um, I'm I'm from aviation. I used to fly airplanes and uh, that was, I was a corporate pilot before I went into real estate. And I remember the very first day I uh, ever took a solo flight. My flight instructor, as he was getting out of the airplane, he did. By the way, he didn't tell me he was going to get out. He kind of just got out. And went, oh, by the way, you're on your own. Enjoy yourself. And the last thing he said to me, and I'll never forget is he said, takeoffs are optional. Landings are mandatory. And he walked away. Of course, you don't think much about it. But now as I get into Steve. business and I go on years later, hey, hold on, you know, takeoff is, is optional. A closing is optional. An exit is mandatory. I'm gonna, if I take that airplane off, I'm going to put it back on the ground. Wings up or wheels up. Or, <laughs> however, that plane <laughs> is going back on the ground somewhere, sometime, somehow. Yeah, before we take off, let's do all our homework. Let's do our analysis. Let's do our flight plan. Let's make sure we know where we're going. Because once you're up there, there are no timeouts. Mm. Once you close, you will exit one way or the other you're going to come out of that deal profitably or or not you're going to exit that deal that's why I kind of
0: hate people say i know i make money when i buy
2: mhm yeah. You're, you're,
0: yeah. I, I feel like lightning. I
2: back up. I'm waiting for lightning to strike. Anytime
0: I hear that, <laughs> this, it, it, we talk about this all the time. We, it reminds me of what the seal, the Navy SEALs say: is uh, know how know how you're getting out before you go in. You know, you're either leaving mm-hmm. in a body bag or through the front door or through the back door. But you need to know what the options are. And if you don't, then you're going to find yourself into a, a really hard situation. What I find really interesting right now is a lot of people right now. We would say the market is at a place where it's it can be hard to find a deal. And right. so what a lot of people are doing is they're starting to look in stranger and stranger places for the money. They're looking underneath the cushions of the, the couch, so to speak, in tertiary markets where maybe it's not so competitive to find a deal and you can actually get something locked down. But then the question you have to be asking yourself is, OK, well, if it's less competitive there, who are you going to sell to in five, six, seven right. years? Exactly. Right. Like if, if there's nobody buying and that's great for you to get on, the, get in. But how are you going to get out? And I don't think a lot of people ask that question.
2: A lot of people are chasing yield out into to, primary, to secondary and tertiary markets, chasing yield, and it's a mistake uh, because when the tide pulls back, those are the, those are the properties that are left on high ground first. Uh, and I'm not saying there can't be some good deals in small towns, but um, I, I would definitely be careful on the exit of strategy comment there. Uh, yep, that's, that's so. The
0: key. So, what do you think right now? Then, in terms of 2020 COVID, the big move away from urban density and moving towards those tertiary markets—is this a long-term? play is this something that will kind of ebb and flow and cycle back to the urban environment? Like what, what do we, what do you think is going to happen there?
2: It's always an ebb and flow. It's always a cycle to and from, you know, uh, the trends have been towards towns forever. Um, They're going to, they're going to trend out towards the suburbs. That's fine. As long as working from home and and all, and there's no commutes and this kind of stuff. But when we get back into having to work physically in a place, if we do uh, fuel costs and things like that are going to make it harder to live further and further out. Um, so I, I think the wealthier people who could move and had the money to move did. But I think there's a large renter demographic that we're just not talking about. They just were not financially able to just go live in the country next to the golf course because they felt like it. So I think that's an outlier set of data that I, I don't think we should be overly concerned with. I think there's bigger problems in the world. Um, you know, we talk about COVID. No offense to anybody that's been sick or had any issue with COVID. I think it's a micro issue in the grand scheme of real estate. I'll go ahead and tell you, uh, I I think something that's a whole lot bigger of an issue, and nobody is talking about it, is the aging assets in our multifamily space and just just real estate in general, infrastructure in America in general. But uh, apartment complexes that were built in the 60s and 70s are now the bulk of our affordable housing product. They're aging out. Those buildings are getting beyond repair. They're getting too expensive to fix up. What happens when those things really just completely collapse? You think we've got affordable housing uh, crisis now? Give it another five to seven years and let these properties, uh, all the plumbing collapse and the, the rod and the wood rod and the roofs and the na That thats going to be a hell of a lot more of a problem than COVID ever was as far as housing and real estate is concerned.
1: Well, it could be a problem, or it could be a tailwind that helps those operators who do take care of their properties. I th- I see that as a potentially just eliminating competition. Some of those guys who don't keep up with the capex, their be- their buildings become dilapidated. They lose right. their certificate of occupancy, and all of a sudden there's all these renters that still need a place to go. So, could be an opportunity as well. It could be, you do but it right.
2: you know that, that's opportunity at someone else's loss. So, whoever owned the building at the time is going to have to cycle out as the owner, and that may not be a profitable cycle out. And Back to my comment about exit strategy. So if you let that property get too far into disrepair and code enforcement runs you out, that's not good. That's not good for the economy. It's
1: no, not no, good. it's not good for that no, guy. Not good I mean, it's, really it's good really for me who's back. got a building next door that's got <clears throat> a brand new roof and is ready to roll. So. so
2: that's kind of one of the market shifts I'm I'm seeing and kind of cautioning everybody is, hey, let's be careful as we kind of go into maybe a recessionary downslide in the market and mm-hmm. values may soften over the future. Let's not mm-hmm. be at the tip of that spear, which I believe is going to be the, the uh, 60s and 70s product which what I what I call a capex tsunami or capital expense tsunami, I think is coming, um, and, and it's it's going to hit hard in the next seven to ten years, five five to seven years. I think it's going to hit really hard, and I'm a, I'm I'm concerned about the value in the C space completely collapsing. Um, so mm-hmm. if you have a lot of uh, a lot of listeners here are passive investors, I would recommend you be cautious about uh, investing with a syndicator who is in the value add space unless they're very uh, skilled at it, they've got a long resume at it. Where they got a really good plan for that property. Everybody right now is trying to whitewash the overpricing in the market by saying that's okay, we'll just raise the rent. Oh, careful, careful. You know, right now with the recession, rents are flattening out. Some cities are having rent growth, some are having rent decline. You know, but everybody will tell you the rents below market. It's a nonsense sales pitch to justify a three percent cap rate or something like that. So, you know, as an LP. If you're getting into these deals with super low cap rates and your syndicator is telling you, oh, that's OK, we're just going to blow the rents up 10 you know, percent this year, next year. And then we're all going to make a ton of money. Careful. I think right now it's a very high risk strategy. So I'd, I would caution everybody about that. Um, I, I like looking at deals that uh, I say find valuation through operation, not renovation. Let's go find some assets that are just mismanaged. Why you got to raise the rent on everybody? You know, that, that, that's what is that? Give that a, give that a break. Let's, let's just be better operators. Well, that takes real skill, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I'm still here. And that's why some of us survive and some of us don't. The people that can only make money when everybody else makes money or can only make money by impoverishing the tenant base, by extremely raising the rent, you're not going to last. You're not going to be in the business long. got to learn how to shift your strategy.
1: Yeah. I think that aligns a lot with what we've been doing lately. And and the, the deals that we've been finding have been the result of uh, years of relationships that have been developed. And that's why we're getting price points that work. And so that's something that I think a lot of newer people don't don't understand that, yeah, there's guys out there finding deals, but it's because they've been in this business for five plus years and they're the first call and they're not buying stuff that's on the market. Exactly. So it's a very that important nuance. Good deals
2: don't stay on the market long. Great deals never come to market. Mm-hmm. They're, they're traded behind closed doors. They're exactly what you're saying, man. They traded through uh, relationships, yeah. short list. Yeah. Yep. I've bought several deals that, that you never had a chance because it was bought through a relationship. You never even saw it.
1: Yeah, and then something else before we kind of leave this topic, I just want to circle back to the, sure. the the net migration in and out of of urban areas, and a lot of people are talking about that right now. We've seen this kind of flight to the suburbs uh, because everyone's just working from home on Zoom calls. But something that I think a lot of people are missing there is that the vast majority of jobs out there cannot be done remotely. Uh, so there's some, you know, there's some corporate jobs where people are going to have the option to stay at home, but the vast majority of the labor force, uh, can't work from home. Like if you're a doctor, a surgeon, a dentist, uh, working at a distribution center, uh, if you work at McDonald's, you can't, these jobs can't be done from home. And that's the vast majority of people. So the butcher Baker
2: candlestick maker mm -hmm. doesn't get to phone in their job. I'm with you on
0: that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So again, I see it as kind of a, a short-term reaction, but not a long-term trend. It just doesn't make sense to me in that light.
0: Yeah, I want to I cycle back to something Bill just said there a little bit ago about finding value through operations, not through renovations. And it's, it's interesting because as you look at a lot of operators underwriting, a lot of times what they'll do is you'll look at you know, in-place expenses and say, okay, we can, we can do better. So right now, let's say the current operator is operating at like a 45% expense ratio. We're like, okay, we can do that at 35%. And what people fail to realize is that it's really difficult to make operational improvements. To your point, Bill, it takes skill. Right. Like Correct. it's it's not just as simple as going in there and saying, I'm gonna slash utilities, I'm gonna charge that back to the tenants, and then I'm gonna also charge less for my property management. Like these things, yes, like the the most valuable business lesson I ever learned was that a dollar saved is worth more than a dollar earned because that dollar earned is always on a margin. So a dollar saved is pure profit right back into the pocket. But it's also very difficult to go and realize those, those improvements. So Bill, how do we do that from a passive investor's perspective? How do they know that they're getting into bed with an operator who actually has the ability to make the operational improvements that they're suggesting versus they're yeah. just throwing down a number and hoping for for the best?
2: It, that's a great question and a, and a tough one to answer. I would probably, my knee-jerk reaction would be resume. You know, I would want to see that your syndicator has, has a track record of doing it, if your syndicator does not have a track record of doing it, then I would want to see a very detailed uh, plan oriented around the execution of this business model. Don't don't hand me a bunch of, of stuff you are just slashed. Hey, we're going to cut this. We're going to cut that. We're going to cut that. Really, how? Tell me about that. You know, tell me about this. Tell me about how. I would really want to know how. And that's how I'm always asking that question. Great idea. How? You know, so there's and we could go into a whole afternoon on just discussing. Uh, that one concept of what we call OPEX or OPEX ratio. Uh, that's one thing when you're talking about your expense ratio to income, your 45, 50%, that's not enough information. You then got to stop and look at the OPEX number. What is your operating cost per door per year? So you can't, you can, you can drop your ratio, but you can't really go fall below that OPEX number. So what I found is the average property, and this is for your listeners, the average property out there, C to B minus runs at about 42 dollars to $4,700 Per year in operating costs, not mortgage, just normal operating costs. So if you say, oh, look, this person's at a 70% expense ratio. Yeah, per that point of view, you could go, gosh, it should be at 50. We'll just cut that. Great. Yeah, but hold on. If you cross verify that data and you say they're at a 70% expense ratio and you look over it and they're running the property at $4,300 a door per year, your income's too low see there's the problem with that expense ratio remember half of a ratio is the other side the income you might be what, in aviation what we call getting behind the power curve it's when you're you're letting your airplane sink and, and you don't have enough throttle to actually take off and you're sinking as a property reaches beyond its bell curve and age what will happen is the property will age to a point that it is now affordable housing and your rents are low in ratio to the expenses that that building is now starting to consume. That's where you have to look. You can't look only at the ratio. You got to look over at the per door number. Because again, if you see that that property running at $4,500 a door and that's a 70% expense ratio, your rents are just too low. They're too low for the age of the building and you're never going to make money on that asset. You're behind the CapEx curve.
1: Quick question for you, Bill, sure. on that. Um, and now you're located uh, down in Georgia. Atlanta. Um, Atlanta. And, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, do you primarily do the bulk of your investing there or are you in other parts of southeastern
2: region? Okay. Yeah.
1: Have you done any research into other markets around the, the US to see how that capex per door per year yeah. changes? Big.
2: Yeah, yes. And I have hundreds of students, and so I'm analyzing deals from all over the country, either for my own or or for people that I'm working with. So yeah, I'm very, very tied in. It's a relatively static number. What will change most readily around the country is labor taxes and utilities. Those are your biggies that'll fluctuate.
1: So I'm thinking heating costs in the winter right now. It's 12 degrees Utilities. in Minnesota here. Correct. Uh, Utilities.
2: It, yeah. So that's so you but can see think in that that reverse. Like we have heat, we have air conditioning in the summer gotcha. and not much yeah. heat in the winter. And you may have no air conditioning. You know what I mean? It kind of so washes out. Kind it washes of. Out. So what what will fluctuate the most is taxes?
1: Mm-hmm. You've
2: got to check that every single county, because that can be wildly different. Utilities yeah. can swing pretty heavily as well, especially water.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and
2: then the last one that, that's uh, insurance can vary depending on if you're in a coastal market, hurricanes, blah, 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 yeah. even labor. But, um, you know, really, if you walk into a, a, a hardware store and buy a toilet or some carpet, California to Georgia, that's pretty much the same cost. Of yeah. carpet. Screws and nuts and bolts all pretty much cost the same. So there are only a few things that largely vary. Uh, but it's a it's relatively static, regardless of what my rule of thumb is, what you, the listeners have to do is go out and do research in your own market and verify the data, but you'll find that it's somewhere around that number.
1: Yeah. That's a cool, that's a very good tip for those passive investors who are starting to look at potential deals. So I'll just kind of read it real quick there. A good thing to check uh, when you're looking at the pro forma for potential deals per Mr. Bill Hamm here is the OPEX per unit per year. Uh, we're looking for an average of forty-two to forty-seven hundred bucks per unit per year. If it's outside of that, there's probably some questions that need to be to be answered.
2: I, if it's a lot lower, they're either not doing repairs or they're lying. Mm-hmm. Either is bad. Uh, and if it's a whole lot higher, they might be doing a whole lot of repairs, which may also not be good. And you know- uh, so it's just hard to say.
1: Yeah. And it's tricky also just for those who are a little bit more active. There's a lot of operators out there who tend to run a lot of expenses and just in an effort to keep their taxes down. So sometimes you might have to back some stuff out to get the real true OPEX. We're putting
2: CAPEX, we call CAPEX above the line. So yeah. it replaces a the roof and they call it operating, you know, repair and maintenance. Mm-hmm. That's it is, clearly not. So that's what yeah.
1: right. doing. Yeah. Love it. That that was a lot of very valuable information there for, for those, uh, individuals out there looking at these types of deals for the first time.
2: You're just getting me warmed up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, Anthony, did you have something queued up there? I was going to jump into. No, uh, you lead the way, man. Okay.
0: Yeah. You, you, you're leading, you're leading the breach. I'm 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 curious,
1: curious to hear, uh, what you're doing at Broadwell now. You've been active for over 15 years now. And I'm curious, I think if I remember correctly from your post on social media, uh, you and Broadwell teaming up uh, happened sometime in the last 12 months. It
2: did. It's about a year ago, as a matter of fact. Yeah, a year ago, December. Yes, 13 months ago. Yep. Um, uh, Tony Morgan, uh, who is the CEO of Broadwell, uh, we kind of met and he approached me and he had exited a very successful and very profitable tech company that he sold I uh, was quite liquid and said, Hey, I need somebody who knows what they're doing. I want to transition into multifamily. So yeah. he created uh, Broadwell property group and hired me as the chief operating officer. And uh, together we have, and are creating Broadwell property group. Um, and you can find us at Broadwell property, excuse me, go com. If anybody wants to look at nice. more information, go dot I love it. Um,
1: no, since you've been in the business for so long and we've got this uh, looming CapEx tsunami and there's there's all these things that people are doing that are uh, implying there's there's a, a misperception of the, the risk out there. What are you guys doing post-COVID 2021? What are you targeting? What types of assets? Like, Have you changed direction? Or-
2: I have. Yeah. So at the moment, I don't believe it's a good time to be doing renovations. Um, so if, if you're looking at value add or increasing revenue, I would strongly suggest you do it without spending money. If you truly believe there's a supply and demand issue, then you shouldn't need to spend money to raise rents. So I think that's sort of one of the razors that we can apply to deal analysis. Mm-hmm. Days. So in our office, we're uh, flight quality. Um, we're, we're I, I think, the C space should be avoided for a little while, for a year or two, in, in, uh, until we can start using creative financing to take those deals down. So at the moment, we're looking at B space, nicer assets, flight quality. Um, you know, looking at looking at stabilized properties, going to get long term debt. I believe we need to jump back into the value-add market in about two to three years, two years, somewhere around in that range, when uh, that market falls apart a little bit more and we can start using some uh, creativity to go in there and mitigate some of the risk. some of these older buildings that we're talking about.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that, that aligns a lot with what we've been doing lately. Uh, you know, the flight to quality and, you know, I'm going to reiterate something that's come up with a lot of invest on our investor calls lately is, is kind of differentiating between uh, a good value add opportunity that's stabilized and, uh, Running well versus what I think a lot of people picture when you say value add, which is a distressed asset, right? So there's going to be good, you know, B quality assets out there that are still quote unquote value add, not because they're war zones, but because of some of the things we just chatted about sure. operational inefficiencies, things like that. Yep. So
2: I always make the joke: it's on the up cycle we call it value add, and then when we go into the down cycle, we call it distressed asset. Well, hold <laughs> those are lender terms. Who do you think started that? It's the lenders. Yeah. So when they want to lend, they say, oh, it's a value add. And then when they want to pull back lending and they move away from the distressed asset, these are lender-based terms. And the lender's retreating always signals the downturn of the market because it causes the downturn of the market. So mm-hmm. if you ever want to know what market cycle or in, all you got to do is look at the lending. And as of today, the lending is, is headed to the hills. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, restrictions and requirements, Fannie, Freddie really kind of throwing up roadblocks. Um, we're seeing people. syndicators have to have a lot more experience, a lot more credibility right now. Um, resume is huge if you're trying to borrow agency debt. You know. so these are all signals from the lenders that they're expecting a recession, and they're they're bracing for impact, which causes the recession? So I would
1: say that that's actually all a good sign that th- that we're seeing these things implemented before defaults actually increase because defaults aren't. All right. The defaults is really what kills things, right? So if people tighten up and they actually do prevent people from over-levering and getting themselves in trouble, I see that these precautions is actually uh, something that's good that's going to help sustain it is long term,
2: yes. What it can do in the short term is to cause people to want to exit today mm-hmm. that may have bought in the last market cycle. Maybe they overpaid, or maybe their operations didn't go exactly as they planned and they weren't able to raise the rents uh, all that they had planned to. And now they need to get out of the deal. Oh, yeah, but the lenders would pull back. And now that value add is called a stress. Now what? That's why I wrote the book that I wrote, Creative Cash. And that's why I'm saying, hey, let's all sit tight for a second on some of the yeah. assets until we can mitigate some of that risk by sharing the risk through creative financing, using seller financing, using a master lease option, using some of these kinds of things. Because when the lenders back off these these deals, these distressed assets, and the seller needs to sell, how are you going to close that deal? Yeah. Well, you're either you're really bringing a lot of cash to the table via a low loan to value, or you're yeah. going to go in there and do some sort of creativity. And that's, what I'm, that's why I brought the book out now is because I've been through these market cycles. I know what's coming up. I've been through this already. I'm watching all the, the signposts. Yeah, <laughs> they're racing by now, and I'm going, Oh, yeah, here we go. This is yeah. 08 all over again. So I know where we're headed, and that's why I'm bringing out this material um, that would be very applicable and very useful over the next two years.
1: That's huge. We've always wanted to get more creative with our financing. To date, we've just done standard debt on properties, and we've always kind of struggled a little bit trying to sell sure. the sellers on the concept of some of those things you just mentioned there. So I'd love you to kind of. You hit it. That is so. I need your book, right? You're saying. <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you, the, I'll you the magic trick right here for everybody listening. This is what I call uh, the SPY technique. And it's an acronym. It stands for Seller Property You. That is the order in which you must analyze a deal and you must create a problem-solving offer. And so maybe that's where you guys were falling short with some of that. So you sit down and you say, what's wrong with the seller? What's, what is the seller's needs? Okay. What is the property need? Lastly, lastly, what do I need? Mm-hmm. And your offer must solve, must create value and bring value through solving those problems. All right. The reason most people fail at creative financing is because they say, what do I want? What do I need? What's good for me? Oh, yeah. Okay. Wait. The property needs some work. Oh, there's a seller involved. What's the seller guy doing? <laughs> you know, and it's just like secondary thought. Well, let yeah. me tell you 80, 90% of a good deal is seller. 15 percent might be the actual real estate. Look, without it, without a willing seller, it doesn't matter what the real estate is. You got nothing. Mm-hmm. So you must start with the spy acronym, seller, property, you. solve that seller's problem. What do you need? What's going on? What can I do for you? What's the problem? How do we solve this? Okay, now what's wrong with the property? Is it deferred maintenance? Is it occupancy? What's going on here? And now I'm making an offer that solves those issues. That is how you and your listeners can go out. Yeah. Really, so that, you know, one tip, you can accelerate your business.
1: That, you know, that's that's our approach always where we run into trouble, I guess in our unique situation is uh, w- when we've tried this in the past, there's always been a broker in between us just screwing uh, well, up I'm the message.
2: Now, nah, yeah, I love working with brokers. I got a whole chapter on how to work with brokers.
1: I need that chapter because yeah, that's where we, we were. <laughs> email we get off
2: here. Yeah, no, it, it's it's really a function of of same problem, same spy technique When working with the realtor, you you've got to explain why the problem two things has a realtor being paid I mean, let's be clear right out of the gate mm-hmm. any kind of creative financing the first thing in that realtor's mind is whoa i'm not going to get a commission check yes mm-hmm. you are step one yes you are put them at ease all right how are we going to pay the realtor we, we take that into account we show you how to do it mm-hmm. so it's a function of getting creation and buy-in from the realtor i would sit down with the realtor i'd say hey you got a problem you know your seller wants this that doesn't work because of these reasons and by the way, those reasons are not personal. Every buyer that walks in the door is going to have that same problem. So you're not getting away from this. All right, here's what I recommend. This, this, and this. What do you think? What do you suggest? And so I'm ending it with that right there. I'm getting buy-in from that realtor. You know, would your seller be interested? What do you think? And what can we do to get this done? You know, I'm, what I'm not doing is killing the messenger. Hey, realtor, here's an offer. Go turn that in. Well, now, hold on. That can get that realtor in trouble. That realtor was hired to bring a sale, not a creative offer. And so what you don't want to do is to have that realtor go turn in an offer that they don't recommend. A realtor Mm -hmm. has a fiduciary responsibility to turn in an offer. They have no responsibility to recommend it. Mm -hmm. So you've got to make that realtor your, your champion. That realtor has to sell that deal for you. So the, the big aspect of getting a realtor involved and working with realtors in creative financing is to know the art so well that, A, you can kind of educate the seller uh, or realtor and then have them even help create the offer. Once someone helps create a negotiation or create an offer, they have buy-in automatically. And then now you've got them on your side. Now they'll go to that seller and say, hey, I know this isn't exactly what you wanted, but let me explain why it's a good deal. And As opposed to hey, Bill turned in this offer. Here it is. I think it's a terrible deal, but you know what? Job done. Here's the offer. I'm out of
1: here. I feel like Don't, that's what's happened to
2: us. Yeah. The Don't house. get the messenger killed. <laughs> you might be making your realtor look bad yeah. with this creative yeah. offer and that will damage the relationship between you and the realtor. So it's a, it is it is it is art. It's some science and it's a hell of a lot of art. That's why I wrote the book, Get Creative Cash and... Uh, creative cash and, and you can learn
0: how to do this. There's, there's something else that you mentioned there, which is that, you know, you're going into this and you're presenting, you know, trying to understand the seller's difficulty, then the property and then yourself. Right. So we're going yeah. through that spy technique, but one of the issues that we've had with the creative, you know, cash, you know, uh, program here in the last year, let's say, is that we discover things, the, the pain point of the seller or the property. And we say, okay, that's going to be an issue for every buyer, but there's been this irration- irrational exuberance in the marketplace where there's still buyers who are willing to overlook those things. And a lot of wrong. the sellers and a lot of the brokers, they know that. They go, yeah, you're right, but we can find this person over here who will pay, it, who will do this, and we don't have to deal with this yep. issue. And so you're, what you pointed out there is that we're entering into this part of the market cycle now where… We're, I think we're going to see sellers and brokers more open to the creative option because uh, right. like when you look back in 2007, 2008, a lot of people look at that and they say, Hey, that would have been a great time to be buying, right? Like, yeah, you want to be buying at that moment whenever, when there's blood in the street, but the issue is where You're do you get the no money? Loan. There's no money to, there's no money. So, and right now we have a, sur- right now we have a surplus of money, but no deals. And so it's like, it's a reverse you know. issue. So right. you got to be able to marry those two. <laughs> Correct. I go through a whole section of exactly what you said. Market yep. cycles. Back then there was
2: deals, no money. Now there's money, no deal. You're, you're kind of foot to foot, foot and foot. Yeah, you, you, you'll, you'll get on solid ground eventually. Um yes, In in the catch with seller financing, creative financing is it works better in certain market cycles. Mm-hmm. If if it's about solving problems. Well, have people had real estate problems over the last three to five years? Not really. You know, if there's some kind of problems, they just go to the market, and sell it, they'll probably even get above asking price. Oh well, yeah, that works. Till it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't, it really doesn't. And that's what I'm saying. You can't look over the last three to five years and think this will be the next three to five years. Wrong, It's yep. not how this works. But that means right now, the realtors are gonna remember the last couple of years. And yes, as of today, early 2021, uh, there are still enough buyers out there, that enough dumb buyers with dumb money, that yes, they are kind of making this a little bit harder. And that's why I keep saying, hey, Give it over the next two, over the next one year to three years, four years, and that window is when you're going to see a lot more creative financing. So it's not something that everybody's going to have been uh, doing for a long time, unless you're really good at it. Uh, but yeah, you're going to see a whole lot more of it going forward.
0: Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. So this has been a fantastic conversation so far, like diving into the Mm -hmm. the market cycles. I'm really excited to check out Creative Cash when it comes out. I think it's coming out next month or so.
2: February 9th. Yeah, Yeah, That's going to be great for us. Yeah. So in time
0: for this episode, this episode will probably be coming out uh, late February. So for you listeners at home, this book is already out there. You have no excuse not to go get it right now. Um, Before we let you go, Bill, give us your book recommendation. And it can't be your own book.
2: Yeah, get my own book. Uh, let's see. The the last book that I read that I really liked um, is by Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference. Kind of a popular book out there right now. Strongly recommend that. Uh, Chris Voss is an amazing educator and he's a, he's a professional FBI negotiator. And he really teaches negotiation in a way that's extremely applicable to real estate. And if you'll read his book on negotiation and my book on creative techniques for financing, and you put the two together, I think you're going to have a really... Pretty powerful combination Mm. for uh, an upcoming market cycle that is not going to look like the market cycle most people that are in the business have seen. You've been in the business less than 10 years. You haven't been tested yet. You're about to be.
0: I love it. So go check out. I would recommend this book as well. I've read it, um, read yep. this, in a couple of mm-hmm. the other big negotiating books in the space, like um, Start with or Get to Yes, right? Like that's the other kind of antithesis of Never Split the Difference. They're get two you. different schools, and I think I lean a little bit more towards Chris Voss on this. So good recommendation there. Now, yeah. Bill, before we let you out of the cage, let you go about your day, where sure. can people get a hold of you? Absolutely, and 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 pick your brain because you are a wealth of knowledge if they want to work with you. Where Absolutely, can they you? yeah. If you want to
2: work with me uh, and my partner. Tony, you can find us at uh, broadwellpropertygroup.com or GoBroadwell. Uh, Broadwell Property Group is the company. You, we have a spot on there. You can fill out your information, reach out to us. My email is bill at gobroadwell.com. Uh, so you can email me if you have any questions or anything you want to discuss. Um, the book is Creative Cash. That's available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Uh, so you can get those three versions there. And then there is a masterclass. Uh, I have an actual downloadable full, probably about 10 hours or so, uh, class on creativeapartmentdeals.com. So if you want to get the book and or the masterclass, you can also go to creativeapartmentdeals.com and download that uh, masterclass.
0: Love it. So go check that out. Uh, you Jeered listeners, we appreciate you taking the time to, to join us today and we'll catch you next week.